As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A and B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, you got hot takes off the spring game? C.J. Stroud's the clear and uh, obvious pick to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State University. Is that a good way to start this? Okay, let's do this. Uh, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, Jesus Christ. Rank them in, in order of uh, overall greatness. Uh, C.J. Stroud, one. Jesus Christ, two. Fields, three. Jesus to the Jets, number two overall. You heard it here first. Uh, no, I think uh, I think that's where we are. We got we got some spring game takes on this episode of four to six with A and B. Obviously about the quarterbacks. Talk a little bit about the defense and you know at least how they lined up, which was interesting. I don't know if we saw anything earth shattering with them. And then we will truly lean into the idea that you should never take too much out of a spring game by taking too much out of a spring game and giving you guys a list of players that we really want to buy some stock in right now based off what we saw on Saturday in Ohio Stadium when Before the Buckeyes we start, played Bill, the Buckeyes. I'm sorry to interrupt you because I'm super amped up right now, but I think that this might have been the most revelatory spring game that Ohio State's had in the recent past. Do you agree with that Like before we get into this? Because I think that maybe it's a byproduct of the position that they're in and how much they have to – like how many players have to show something. But I was more entertained watching that spring game, and I felt like I was learning more about Ohio State than I have ever have in the past watching a spring game. I'd have to think back to see if they've had as much like turnover 
in the past. I think that's part of it. I, I do think you're right. I think I think there are more guys this spring who were sort of wondering just exactly what they are maybe than we have in the past. Um, and I think that gets compounded a little bit by the fact that there was no spring game last year, so maybe we're kind of like itching to see one, and we didn't get, really get to have any of these conversations a year ago. Um, whether it was super revelatory, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it was a little bit, um, but there were so many guys out, not out too, who I think are going to play important roles that, that I'm not sure like I have all the answers, but I feel like we got some answers. Yeah. I think we got more answers maybe than we typically get or more information than we typically get in a spring game. I don't know if answers is the right word. I think information is the right word. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. like, we got to watch a three headed quarterback competition. It's the first time we all saw them throw in college. Right. Like it's the first time we saw it. So I know that, you know, it's always met with the same idea of, well, there's been 15 other practices and this is just one of the practices and you haven't seen everything. And I, and I buy that, but it helps us form an idea of what we're looking at when you finally get to see it. Cause we've been talking about it blindly for a year now. Mm-hmm. So to me, maybe that was the whole thing, but the receivers, you have five star defensive ends. We'll get into it. But I just thought that anybody who wrote, started off their story by saying, this doesn't really mean anything or take it with a grain of salt. First of all, when you start your story by saying, take what I'm writing with a grain of salt, you're delegitimizing yourself yeah but then b Lee, don't read this by the way yeah. there's 600 more words here yeah so um i just think that there was a lot to take from that and i don't think that seeing them throw the ball or understanding what they look like in that environment is something that we should take with a grain of salt it's a key part of the evaluation process i didn't i didn't take i certainly didn't take the quarterback stuff with a with a grain of salt trying to cut down on the salt by the way so you know i don't really take anything with much of a grain of salt anymore but no i thought i thought we did learn some stuff about the quarterbacks and i and i thought as as far as spring games go there was a decent amount of information to get and it was also like kind of fun and entertaining like it it had a pretty good combination of both i thought so i thought like it was a it was a good day where we learned some stuff it was fun to watch football there were nineteen thousand people in the stadium which was great to see I didn't think there was anything that was like a total red flag where you're like all of a sudden you're nervous about something for Ohio State now moving into the fall. So all in all, I thought it was a really good day, and, and yeah, I did. I did think we learned a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good day for football, and it's a, it's a great day for hay. It's a great day awesome. for hay. Uh, Back to I, I, I enjoyed it. So, I mean, you were in the in the stadium. You you saw the fans. I mean, did it start feeling like we're you're back in normal times a little bit? Yeah, the I, I got home from the game and I was talking uh, with my girlfriend about it, and I said when uh, the, the end of, the end of the game, Jagger Laroe throws an absolute dime uh, to I think it was Austin, no Sam Wigloos, I think is who called a walk on receiver Sam Wigloos, walk on quarterback Jagger Laroe. It was an it was an absurd throw uh, for a touchdown at the end of the play. Like, but like when it happened. There was like cheers. People were it was like there was an audible reaction to something happening on a football field, which uh, I suppose I got to hear at the Sugar Bowl in the national championship. But to, to hear it in Ohio Stadium again was cool. Yeah, and there was cops directing traffic. I saw. Yeah, seeing the cops working the traffic lights, directing people toward the stadium was like, oh yeah, this is what happens when there's a there's a football game in Ohio Stadium on a Saturday. It was like all coming back to me. Now it was it was nineteen thousand. It wasn't a hundred thousand, and I don't know if there's going to be a hundred thousand in there in the fall or not. I hope there is, but uh, even even nineteen thousand was was a welcome sight for sure. Yeah, cool. So um, I guess we have some you know brass tacks to talk about defensively and and some of the schemes and stuff. Why don't you take it away there, X's and O's guru? Well, let's start with QBs, and and I think okay, <laughs> I think we uh, 
I think you and I came in came in on the same page, and it's the same page as a lot of people that we think CJ Stroud is going to be the starter in the fall. Did you come out of that more convinced, less convinced, kind of in the same spot as you were coming into it? I think it's pretty evident, you know, from what what I've seen that who the best quarterback or the one that seems to be the most starter ready, you know, and everybody made some good throws. Everybody everybody made some questionable throws. I actually think Jack Miller showed off his arm a little bit. I think that he has a, a pretty strong arm, mm-hmm. uh, especially on that first drive. I thought he, you know, before he threw the pick to Ryan Watts there at the end. But, you know, C.J. Stroud also, not just about how much you break down, like how he threw each ball and his 16 for 22 and 185 yards and two touchdowns. I, I also think that, like, he has the look about him. And I don't know if that is a thing to you, but it is to me. Uh, as somebody who just kind of looks like the starting quarterback at Ohio State. So, you know, I know that – it seemed from at least the viewing windows that you know you've had in the spring that he has taken or, or seems to be in a position to be taking first reps a lot. I think that just based on the way their recruitments panned out, that it seemed like he was going to be the guy who had the first stab of it, stab at it. And based on what I saw on TV, and maybe it was different in the stadium, but it seemed to me that you know for a, a group that's taking you know a lot of the same amount of reps in that game, that C.J. Stroud looked like the starter to me. Yeah, I I did not buy into I, I think I think the look thing is real and 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 it matters to some extent. I don't know if I brought into it all that much like during the practice windows we got to watch. I just don't think we saw enough to know that. Um, and I know you've you've actually had conversations with CJ that I've that I've not had because we didn't get to talk to quarterbacks this spring that that probably make you feel that way even more strongly th- than I do. But watching him on the field on Saturday, I did I did get that vibe. Um, and it's not just the way he is on the field, sort of his calmness and and his his confidence and the the way he seems to kind of have a decent grasp of the offense. Although I'm, I'm sure he doesn't have the whole thing because he hasn't been here that long. But then also too when he's on the sidelines and like guys just kind of like gravitate toward him and and they sort of like act around him as if he's the guy and maybe some of that sounds silly but but I just think it's it's something that is a little bit telling about him but then they, they got on the field too and it was just it was pretty clear to me no I don't I don't think like CJ Stroud got on the field and like ran away from everybody with the way he performed I, I thought all three played okay and and Jack Miller was probably the worst he was the worst statistically but I went back and charted all the throws because I'm a dork um, and he had Jack Miller had I think three drop passes and the other guys, I think, combined might have had one. Um, Jack got like a def- or offensive lineman like knocked back into, into his arm a couple times. So there were some some outside factors that contributed to, to Jack. But I, I do think he threw that pick and, and just was a little unsure of himself after that point, and that showed a little bit. Meanwhile, the other two guys played played much more confidently. I thought were more aggressive pushing the ball down the field when they had the opportunity to do so. Um, Kyle McCord, I think, has the strongest arm of all three, but. CJ Stroud to me has the combination of he's got the arm, he's got a good enough arm, a strong enough arm, he's got the accuracy, the touch, he can get it wherever he wanted to get it to, um, and he just has a calmness about him where where even if he does make a mistake, like he didn't miss a throw or two, but he kind of bounced back from it right away. So there's just kind of like an aura about him, and it's not so much that you watch his skill set and think like, man, this guy's incredible, even though he is really good. Um, I think from a skill set standpoint, they're all fairly close. Um, it's just that CJ's got this this combination of of skill set experience and just kind of like general vibe about him that it feels like he's going to be the guy. And McCord might actually be the most McCord might actually be the most talented of the group, right? Pure talent wise. I mean, you made that point to me, and I, I think that that makes a lot of sense because you know, not to make this a stars thing, but a lot of times when you are a five star quarterback, your athleticism and your ability to play at the highest level 
is very evident from early on. And I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, Stroud was basically a five-star prospect, but McCord has the look of him of like, wow, that kid is going to be a star. He does. He he has like a naturally strong just sort of whip to his arm that, that I think is evident compared to the other two. And, and if you were to rank them, I, I wrote this in this, the final felt story that I wrote that went up on Tuesday morning. I think if you were to rank all three just in terms of pure arm strength, CJ's probably last. I think Kyle's first, Jack's second, and CJ's last. It's, it's close. And I think Kyle and, and Jack or sorry, CJ and Jack are probably closer to each other than, than Jack is to, to Kyle. Kyle's just got a really, really strong arm. Um, and he like throws it from a like three-quarter arm slot. It's like kind of slingshotty. Good mechanics, quick, smooth. Um, clearly a kid who's who's been coached up at it for a long time. His dad was a quarterback um, in, in major college football. So like he's he's got the pedigree and, and was kind of born to play the position, for lack of a better way uh, of saying it. And CJ Stroud, we all know his story as a recruiter. Like he's he's still they're all still developing, but I think that he might be a little more raw as a quarterback than, than Kyle McCord is in terms of just like mechanics and, and understanding how to throw a football. Um, and some of that's God given ability too. But um, yeah, so that's why it's like, I, I, I do think Stroud's going to be the guy, but you know, there's a long way to go before a camp. And I think Kyle McCord's got all the tools you'd want, physical tools you'd want in a, in a big time college quarterback. So I think it's open for him. I, 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 we've talked about it before. Like, I don't, I don't know if either one of us thinks Ryan Day is actually going to do it and name a true freshman the starter. But I don't know. I, from what I saw of, of Kyle McCord on Saturday, I think he's good enough to be that guy if, if that's the way he wanted to go. Here's what I would say about Kyle McCord. Um, I love, first of all, that the first pass he threw in Ohio Stadium was a 55-yard duck. <laughs> that was completed. Um, but if he were the only option right now, Let's say Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud didn't exist, I would feel confident in Ohio State's ability to compete for a national championship. That's what I think of him. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if he's the best clear option right now to start day one with, with Stroud in the fold and, and Miller in the fold, um, but I do think that he has the clear identifiable talent, traits, and tools to compete at the highest level at Ohio State. And a lot of times it doesn't always – present itself that way i bet you like you know if you think jt barrett is one of the best quarterbacks in ohio state history and you would have a reason to think that based on what he he accomplished i guarantee you cj uh jt barrett did not look like kyle mccord did in his first spring like that and he was somebody who played as a freshman so like i think that he is just an advanced physical specimen who has a strong arm and an aura about him and and maybe somebody we're going to talk about too with comfortability with with marvin harrison who I thought is awesome. Mm-hmm. So and there's a lot to like about that kid. I just don't know if you can tactically tactically do that. Tactically. Yeah. I think that's that. how you say it. I think that's how you say it. It's just I had a hard time pronouncing the word. But yeah, I, I yeah, just yeah. I, I don't know if you could do that right now. I just don't know if you I don't know if you have the cojones to do that. It's it's an interesting conversation about like most talented versus most ready. Also, most advantageous for your roster, and but yeah, and then there's the ripple effect of Quinn Ewers coming down the pike too. Now, I don't th- hypothetically, if Kyle McCord were named the starter as a true freshman, I don't think Quinn Ewers would not come here. I don't know. Maybe, I think that would be the I think that would be the path of least resistance for him, wouldn't it? Well, if CJ Stroud's the starter, then CJ's a starter this year and next year Quinn sits a year and then he's a starter in 2023, which is a reasonable plan that I think we've talked about before. If Kyle McCord's a starter, Kyle McCord's going to be a starter for three years. Um, but I don't know if that would scare Quinn Ewers away from coming here and competing with Kyle McCord and trying to take the job from him as a true freshman. Kyle McCord is on paper right now supposed to be 
on this roster for the next three years, no matter what. So somebody winning the job a year ahead of him on the depth chart doesn't do anything to stop the blockage that would still be hypothetically in Quinn Ewers' way. Does that make sense? To me, the idea of freshman wins starting quarterback, other two redshirt freshmen go somewhere else, you come in as a number one overall player in a recruiting class, sit for two years, and then you're the starter for two is a very clear path to me, whereas this is a little bit more muddy. I think that like a freshman starting might actually be advantageous for Ohio State's desire to, to sign Quinn Ewers in a purely hypothetical world because it would clear out the room. Yeah, but the incumbent would have two years of starting instead of one year if it were Stroud. Yeah, I mean, you also have to go under the assumption that you're going to beat out McCord, who, if he sticks around in the program, wouldn't be more ready than Quinn would be anyway. Like, I think you would take the two years of sitting on the bench knowing you're absolutely the next guy in, rather than coming in and having to compete with somebody who might win if they win the job, still need two years of starting experience before getting drafted. It's like, because in a worst-case scenario is C.J. Stroud wins the starting job, and I don't know if we're going off track here a little bit, but C.J. Stroud wins the job. McCord sticks around. CJ starts for two years at the very best, right? Then goes. Then you have McCord who sticks with the program and is an ultra-talented player, as we just discussed, then becomes the starter in year three of this progression. Is really, really good, but isn't ready for the NFL because, you know, I know it's crazy to think, but sometimes people need more than one year starting in college before they go to the NFL. That would be the longest route for Quinn to get on the field. Yeah, it would. Absolutely. Yeah, of course it would. But I'm trying to I'm trying to realize I'm trying to figure out and we don't know Quinn Ewers. We've never talked to him. He's hard to get a hold of. He doesn't like doing interviews apparently. Like presented with those two situations, you're either the probably the lone backup to, to CJ Stroud when you're a true freshman if it works out that way, um, or you're the backup to Kyle McCord who's only a year ahead of you, and it's not all that unreasonable that you'd have to sit for two years instead of one year. I don't know if one of those will make him more li- less likely to come or not. I think he'd still probably come either way and just try to win the job as soon as he gets here, no matter who the quarterback is. Are you on of the assumption that in two years that the other two quarterbacks on this roster that don't win the job are gone? Yes. No matter who they are? Yeah. Okay. Because like, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm 100% that, that McCord would leave if he doesn't win the job. I think C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord are on the roster this fall. Like almost a hundred percent, I feel I feel pretty strongly about that. Jack Miller, I don't know. Um, I th- I think you could convince him that he's still in the mix and, and have him come back this summer and try to compete for it. And he's on the roster in the fall as well. That's that's obviously the dream scenario for Ryan Day. Um, I have a pretty hard time seeing more than one of these guys on the roster in fall of twenty twenty two. But I guess that's not impossible. But yeah, when you're McCord, you come to the the school understanding that you're going to be behind the eight ball. Like, you know your situation. And, like, I know that college football has changed and people are expected to start immediately, but, like, if you come to Ohio State knowing that it's going to take two years to play and you are patient enough, the, the payoff at the end of that road is going to be more than, more than worth it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it's easy to assume that the one person who doesn't win the job in the same recruiting class would leave because your eligibility lines up completely with the other person. Yep. But I don't know if I'm willing to take the 100% step that the person the year behind you would go if they don't beat you out. Like I think McCord came to Ohio State knowing that 
the odds are probably stacked against him. Like the, what, what would be interesting and changes the entire dynamic of the conversation that we're having is if Ryan Day knows he loses McCord by starting Stroud, then that then then you that completely makes everything we've been talking about irrelevant because you don't want to lose two quarterbacks. If one of the quarterbacks is a true freshman who goes, then it's the same thing that that you're dealing with when you start a true freshman over the other two. So, like, in, in that scenario, if McCord is a threat to leave, then you can start a true freshman. It's the same exact scenario, right? You see what I'm saying? No, not really. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'll try, I'll try again. I'm a little in the weeds on this. Okay. The reason why we think that McCord isn't going to start this year is because of the threat that the other two a year older than him would leave. Right. Right? If McCord becomes a threat to leave by not winning the job immediately, then you're still in danger of losing two of the three quarterbacks currently on the roster right now. Mm-hmm. So eligibility and deciding on who is starting based on where they are in their years is no difference. You're going to lose two. It doesn't matter which two it is. You pick the right one, even if it's the true freshman. I've always operated under the assumption that they can't start McCord right away because you don't want to lose the two redshirt freshmen. But if you lose one of – if you're going to lose two regardless, then then what class you're in doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. Cause, and, and I don't – I think – this is it's like officially it's not officially a cj stroud or kyle mccord conversation but it kind of feels like it's a cj stroud or kyle mccord conversation like no offense to jack miller like i, I don't know i just didn't see it did you see it i didn't see it so it has felt like a mccord conversation and a stroud conversation uh before the spring game and i don't know that anything changed after it looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So now you just have those guys compete for the starting job, and it, and it, like if Kyle McCord wins that job in camp, like I don't think C.J. Stroud's going to leave on August twentieth to go find somewhere to play right away next year. Like it's not that's not how it works. So um, I think because both all those Ohio guys, State's trying to do is get to a position where they have a starting quarterback and yours is the clear backup. I think they're going to get. I mean, they're they're going to get to next fall with two of these guys at least. I think I, I think that's that's reasonable because it's it's not over. I I, I don't I don't think it's over. I have a lean on where I think it's headed. I don't think it's over. And I don't really know why you would, would think it's over based off what Kyle McCord showed us in the spring game. I think he's good enough to be the starting quarterback here right now if, he, if, if they want to go that way. Um, so, yeah, you just go in the fall. You have those two guys. And being the backup quarterback at Ohio State is not a bad position to be in. It's better than being, I don't know, I'd rather be the backup quarterback at Ohio State, like one play away from going into the game, than I would be the starter at, I don't know, Fresno State <laughs> or something something like that. So I don't I don't think they're in jeopardy of losing one guy. Losing losing another guy like in fall camp. 
Um, I think whatever the room looks like on like June 1st is what it's going to look like on September 1st. Um, so, but having the discussion about McCord and the, the reason why we don't think that McCord would win the job is, as a result of roster fallout is probably more of a Quinn Ewers discussion than it is a discussion about the redshirt freshman. Yes, and I, and I think before maybe we've talked about it in those terms, like you can't name McCord the freshman because you're going to lose the other guys. And, and if, I, if I've said that, and I think maybe I have said that before, I would like to retract that. I, don't, I just don't think that's true. Okay, because like I think that we've been having the same conversation but under different understandings of it for a while now. Yeah. Because my assumption has always been that McCord is going to stay regardless of who wins the job, or that he should stay and then compete with Quinn when the time comes, and then if, they don't, if you lose that job – then that's when you would go because you would still maintain two or three years of eligibility in that scenario. Yeah, I, like, I think, but that competition would happen because I'm assuming Quinn Ewers is going to show up in the in, in January of of 2022. So like that competition happens, and like I don't, I think I'd be surprised if Kyle if Kyle McCord is the backup this year. I think I'd be surprised if he is competing with Quinn Ewers to be number two heading into the fall of, of 2022. He's just, he, I mean, he's very good. He's going to have to go somewhere else and start. I don't, I don't know why he'd wait around that long. Um, if he doesn't think he's going to have a chance to be on the field as a starter before. So you think that he committed to Ohio State expecting to start as a true freshman with the, with the roster the way it was? I think he committed to Ohio State expecting to start as a true freshman, but I don't think like in an unreasonable way where he thinks to himself, well, if I'm not the starter as a true freshman, I'm out of here, see you later. But I think over time you could come to that realization when you know how good you are <laughs> and we're yeah. in the world I mean, of a one-time I, transfer where you can go. Now you know for sure you can go and play right away and people are going to be telling you that. I just think it, there's a lot of variables at play that would make it uh, harder to stay than it would have been uh, even a year ago. Yeah, because I've been operating under the assumption that you start McCord, you lose two. You start Miller or Stroud, you lose one. I think In that's true. Future. I think that's true eventually. I think that's true eventually. I don't think that's true for this fall. Yeah. And it's like it's like really hard to have this conversation too because we're not in their heads and we don't know exactly what they're going to do. We're just trying to live in the real world where transferring has just become super easy and if you're good enough and all three of these guys are good enough to start at other places in the Power 5. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether or not they want to wait at Ohio State is is their prerogative. But to me, if you think that they're in danger of losing two quarterbacks regardless of who wins the job, then if McCord is the best quarterback, then you start him immediately. Yeah. And then you worry about what happens to Stroud and Miller after the fact. So I think to me that makes the, the competition far more straightforward than it does playing damage control and what you think the roster fallout's going to be if the result is the same no matter who you pick. Yeah, I, I think that, and that that's a good word. I, I'm not – I'm – Damage control is something that I had in my mind, I think, when we started having this, these conversations early on, and I'm just not super concerned about that anymore. Because I, th- I think they're, I think they're going to be in a position where they're going to have two talented, at least two talented quarterbacks this fall, and they'll have at least two talented quarterbacks next fall. When That's all you need. Her. And I think, like, if you if you expect anything more than that in this this day and age, like you're expecting almost the impossible. So yeah, and if by, and by putting off the the competition, regardless of who it is. If C.J. Stroud turns out to be the backup to Kyle McCord, to me that seems to be, and I'm not talking about talent-wise right now, I'm just saying based on the way the roster shapes up, the best possible scenario for me would be start the the true freshman, weed out everybody else, Quinn Ewers comes in and knows in two years he's a starter. Mm -hmm. And that is a clear path. Yeah, and then it's just a matter of if if Quinn – Quinn Ewers knows it's a possibility that you might have to sit for two years, 
even if he's super confident in himself and thinks he can come win the job from the incumbent when he's a true freshman, um, there is a there is a real a reality where he could have to sit for two years here. Would it be something to consider? Maybe in considering that he decided yeah. he wouldn't want to come here, but but I don't I don't know if that I don't think that'd be the case. Yeah. So the interesting Kyle thing McCord that came we came here knowing it could be the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing here is that you make the quarterback decision based on what you want to do to make sure that the number one player in the country still wants to come. And that becomes all of a sudden more important than what you're going to do with the players who have already signed. And that is kind of what really, really makes things interesting because a unsigned high school prospect can do whatever the hell he wants to do at any point without any consideration or anybody else, which is great. But if he wakes up one morning and says, I want to go to Texas, he can go to Texas regardless of what Ryan Day picks. Yeah, you can't. So it's like you also have to put yourself the position that you just pick the best player for your team right now. And then regardless of what happens, I mean, I don't know. What would you do if you were a coach? Would you just go make best decision for current team right now, deal with whatever happens as a result when that happens? Or would you ever try to change your roster based on what you think could happen as a result of what's going on with your current team? Like it's a really hard world to live in, especially now with the one-time transfer rule because Ohio State can be the beneficiary of getting somebody in as easy as they are to lose one. And, and I think I, I think that makes the I think the focus should be on the here and now, no matter what. But I think the the transfer portal, as much as you worry about guys leaving, the ability to bring guys in, I think I think makes that even a, a, a clearer decision. You just whatever Ohio State's expected to win a national title every year, so whatever helps you gives you the best chance of winning a national title next year is what you do. And you don't yeah, but the here and now is very very probably ninety nine point nine percent of the time the here and now is. But we're talking about the number one player in the country and one of the highest rated recruits of all time. So it's like a little bit different. It's not just like, oh, you have a five-star kid who's committed. It's like you have like the guy who's the highest-rated player at his position since Vince Young. Like that's like a completely different dynamic. I think. Mm. You don't think so? I don't know because I just I think if they have to go get a quarterback, they'll go get one and it'll be good. Because it's Ohio State and it's Ryan Day. They'll like Quinn Ewers might be the best quarterback in the, prospect in the last decade, and maybe whoever they get won't be quite as good as him. Um. But Ryan Day's got to win games in 2021. Yeah, I know, but that shit matters because when you lose when you lose yours to a, a certain team, depending on what that team is, that's a guy you have to beat. And it's like Ohio State had a Trevor Lawrence problem for a long time, and not that they ever had him or were going to get him, but until they finally got over the hump with the second-rated player in the same class. I guess it's just like a hard dynamic because you don't want to have to keep facing that. So if he goes to Texas, then whatever. Maybe he, Texas will never. I'm just making up a fake scenario, but you do have to kind of think that even though Ohio State is in their own conference in their own world, they are still competing at the highest level against the same collection of three or four teams that aren't in their conference every single year. And if he ends up at one of those teams, that would really suck for them. It would, but I still don't think it should impact your decision on what you do this year. It, I mean, it just can't. It can't. You so can't then, pick. You can't pick a guy that you think in the back, like in your heart, is worse because you're worried about what Quinn Ewers might do. You just can't. You can't do that. I think that's what, managing your team poorly. Right. But so just pick the best guy. Yeah, but in the in the world where they're all very even, or could be very even, and are also all very inexperienced, if there's a tiebreaker, the tiebreaker goes to Ewers. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. 
I don't know. I have a hard time too. Like I don't like how how much better is Quinn Ewers than CJ Stroud in the comic court? Like, I, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Listen to me. To listen to this can tell me I'm a dumbass and tell me that I'm an idiot for even asking that question. But like, well, it's like how what's the difference between the number one overall player in the country and the number seventeen overall player and and the number one quarterback and the number two quarterback? I think it's probably pretty negligible. But what is it about Quinn Ewers? That makes him a 1.00 rating on 247 composite rankings. The and I'm actually working on a story behind, yeah, behind the scenes right now. But like this is like the, I think the second or third time in the last 15 years that all three recruiting services have agreed on who the number one player in the country is, and it's Quinn. So it's just like that is like an interesting. Yeah. I mean, everybody agrees that he's a is a. I don't want to use this word. I've overused it to the point, but is a transcendent. Is that a good alternative? Yes. A transcendent quarterback talent. And if like if this kid is Trevor Lawrence, then like I do think that you have to take that into account. Maybe not a hundred percent, but I think it needs to be like five percent of what you're thinking. Yeah, but maybe. also Probably like I don't know how much this decision would even really have an impact on him because regardless of who wins the job, like C.J. Stroud could win the job and have one year down on his clock that the that McCord doesn't have, but he still might need three years to start. Like you you don't know, nobody knows like how it's going to play out. And you can't just sit there and look at remaining eligibility as the the end-all, be-all of what it's going to take for you to get on the field. And, like, also, the good news, too, is that if Ryan Day wants to pick the best player right now, then he has the ball. He has to have the balls later on if Quinn Ewers is better than his starter to bench the starter. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's the type of thing that we, we never consider. It's like just because uh, C.J. Stroud or McCord wins the job this year doesn't have an impact on who's going to win the job in 2022, right? And, like, I think that at Ohio State and basically in college football in general – if somebody is a starter as a redshirt freshman, then you assume that he's going to be the starter till he's a redshirt junior. And it's like the sport is evolving so much that I think that has to, that shit has to go away. Yeah, just I think because that's you've fair. already started, you can't just assume they're going to be the starter for three years until they're able to leave. Like that's right. not the way it works anymore. If the, if players are expecting to play as a freshman, if you can't recruit a five star quarterback without him leaving after his freshman year, then you have to play the best player regardless of who it is. And if you have a two year starter who won Big Ten's Offensive Player of the Year award, and then Quinn Ewers is better than that than that guy that won the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, I don't care what he means to your team. This is like the Kirby Smart lesson. It's like that's it. Like it's as simple as that. If Quinn Ewers is better than the reigning Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, then the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year sits down. Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to do, but, like, Clemson did it, right? Clemson sat Kelly Bryant after they went to the playoff and then put Trevor Lawrence in, and then they won a national title. <laughs> so yeah, it's and it's like, like Jalen Hurts' life is just fine. Yeah. Like, it's just like you can't worry about hurting feelings. And, like, the idea of we can't bench Jake Fromm because he took us to the playoff the year before is just bullshit now. That's just – that's not the way it can work. And if JT Barrett started for a year too long at Ohio State, that was a mistake. You know, and that's ancient history and not something that we have to re-digest. But if you believe that's the case and, and seniority played a factor, seniority has to be an old concept. If you can't you can't at the same time expect that your freshman quarterback needs to start or that expectation within him is to start right away and then also keep the concept of seniority at the same time. If one changes, they both have to. Right. It's gonna be an interesting summer for quarterbacks here. I don't know, uh I don't know how confident I feel that all three are going to be here, but I, th- I feel pretty good about two being here. And I think, I think like we said, we both think it's headed towards Stroud, but I, I still think it's very much competition. Um, and I don't think I'd be shocked if Kyle McCord's a starter in the fall. It would be my You're like right changing now. my mind right now about McCord. Like in this, con- in this entire 
like the way that we've changed our viewpoint of what it means to start a freshman, you're changing my mind. And I don't even know if you're trying to convince me, but it's like McCord might be the guy. I think I'm trying to convince myself that it's a little more feasible than maybe I initially wanted to believe. But um, I'd hand the keys to the car over to that kid right now. I don't know if he's better than C.J. Stroud, but I've seen enough from that kid in five minutes of grain of salt football <laughs> to know that he's good enough to start at this at this university. He's good, yeah. He is. no, he is. I think he is too. Um, I just don't know, but like it's, it's like C.J. Stroud's really good too. Like they're both really good. They're yeah, both really good. I know. And C.J. Stroud's got got a little bit of a leg up because he's been here a little bit longer. Um, but but the way that the past year went, I think negates that a little bit. So it's not it's not a, a you know a monster uh, gap there that the Kyle McCord has to make up for, and he's got you know. May, June, and July to really dive into the offense to to get better physically. Like, there's a lot of time between now and when Ryan Day's going to name a starting quarterback for, for Kyle McCord to, to make that kind of move. And, and I think from what we've seen from his raw skill set, he's perfectly capable of doing so. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, if Justin Fields has just kind of changed the way quarterbacks work, or if just quarterbacks with the Elite 11 and everything are just more advanced than they are before. But college football has made a fundamental change in the last five years in terms of expectations of early playing time at these universities. Whereas you used to commit to Ohio State back when I first started, that if you knew that you were going to be the starter as a registered sophomore, that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like that was like the thing. Now it's just like I can't bother to wait for for sixteen months before I can enter a camp with the number one for, with the chance to win a number one starter. And it's like, is it because the players who are coming out of high school are just better now, or is it an entitlement thing? Like I don't know what it is. Justin Fields should have started as a true freshman, probably right, just based on what we know about him now. Um, but the sport is fundamentally different as a result of how good these quarterbacks are now. And yeah, it's like the, Kyle yeah, McCord isn't supposed to look that good as a freshman. I, I think most talent evaluators will tell you that quarterbacks are way better coming out of high school now than they were like a decade ago. And it's like personal quarterback coaches, elite 11s, The nature of offense, just like the general nature of offense, yeah. You're like more passing, less, you know, less heady decision-making. Maybe yeah, I think I think it's just uh, it's a it's a sport that is increasingly tailored to the offense and and just makes life easier on a quarterback. But but combined with that is the the private quarterback training, the, the fact that guys are like specializing earlier and are just like much more fully formed, not all the way formed, but more fully formed prospects coming into to college than they were maybe even five years ago. To be honest, like it's it's pretty crazy. You see so many of these kids the way they, the way they throw the football now. It's it's kind of absurd. So. Yeah, I think that like we're I think saying like talking about a true freshman the way we're talking about Kyle McCord, like really talking about any true freshman that way would have been like pretty absurd not that long ago. And now it's almost like it's the expectation with a lot of these guys. Yeah. It's a, it's just a different sport now. I don't know if we went off the rails there a little bit, but I thought that was some of the best conversation we've had about the team in a while. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a good conversation. It was. I got I, I, I got confused a little bit by what you were saying, but then I, I got back on board. I got back on track. I'm still kind of confused by it, to be honest. But I, uh, yeah, it's like if, if bottom line, bottom line is neither one of us thinks it would be unreasonable for Ryan Day to start Kyle McCord in the fall if he thinks he's better. I just kind of feel like, you know that in the movie The Dark Knight when the Joker's walking away from the hospital or whatever and it's on fire and he's smiling? I kind of feel like that's just kind of how you have to coach now. It's just kind of like, you know what? I don't care what year you are. I don't care who's committed. I don't – whatever. It's like open competition all the time. And I think coaches always say that in theory. 
Like, everybody's competing for their spot every single day, and it's like, I don't think that's ever been the case. And it's like, if you're a, a returning two-year starter at quarterback, you need to worry about your job if there's a five-star freshman on the roster. And at Ohio yeah. State, if that maybe that's a difference. We talk about ruthlessness. We talked about it all the time with what they did to Tate Martell by going out there and getting Justin Fields. It's like, how is and it Matt any Baldwin. different to yeah. – how is it any different to start a freshman over an incumbent than it is to go get a transfer when people have waited in your program for two years? It's, it's not. the same action. It's so, not, it's, yeah. And it's like when we're talking about it, it's like, well, if, if Quinn Ewers comes in and Kyle McCord is a starter, then he has to wait three years. Why? Because that, that's just well, how we're programmed ha- to ha- think. He doesn't have to. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to have to, but he might have to. And like, we, is the yeah. is the might enough for him to not come? But even if the might is enough for him to not come, I still don't think he can concern yourself with that. I think you got to pick whoever the best quarterback is for twenty twenty one and roll with it. Yep, and it might be Kyle McCord. Wow, goosebumps! Straight out of Philly Catholic League, baby. Yeah, I know. Who were to thunk it? Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. Like uh, four months from now, we're getting ready to talk about Ohio State Minnesota and Jack Miller is the starting quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like hard because you feel bad because. Jack Miller really stuck with it. And he could have left. And, mm-hmm. you know, he he committed early. He survived through all the Zach Smith shit, you know. He was the first phone call that I made to a recruit when that stuff was happening of how do you feel. Never wavered. Uh, knew that they were recruiting other quarterbacks throughout his entire recruitment. Never wavered. They got a commitment from C.J. Stroud. Never wavered. Came to, came to campus and has battled from what we understand tooth and nail to get this job never wavered and like there is a point regardless of how you feel about the the kid's parents who were very nice or the kid himself who was very sharp and very nice and confident that you have to acknowledge what's happening and it's just what it is you know and maybe we'll be wrong the competition like you said isn't over maybe jack miller will be the starter but if he's not that's just what it's like to commit to Ohio State. And that's that's every bit of part of going to Ohio State as it is to like see all the awards and the national mm-hmm. championship trophies and all the things. I mean, it's just that's life, as Urban Meyer used to say, in the big city, right? That's right. That's right. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, let's, uh, I don't think we need to talk much about the defense, to be to be perfectly honest, but the we we need to acknowledge i think now that that the bullet is a thing right that that's how they that was their base defense no matter what they were doing they didn't get out of base they didn't really play a, tr- a true nickel i didn't see any dime i i saw uh you want to call it a four three with a hybrid or a, a four two five or whatever whatever you want to call it um that sam linebacker spot is now 
uh, what we talked about two years ago, the, the hybrid safety linebacker bullet deal, the old Michigan Viper position. It's not new. Alabama, I think, calls it the star. Ohio State used to call it the star here. No one's reinventing the wheel, but it's a change from what Ohio State's defense kind of was the last two years. And this is kind of part of the plan, right, because they needed time to recruit for the position, and then they, they recruited for the position, and now they're in a spot where they can actually employ their vision. Yeah, and, and I think Craig Young was – part of the equation before that and and just sort of kind of kind of worked out that he's a fit for it um ronnie hickman is a fit for it, and they're the two guys there right now i think court williams once he's healthy is very much in in that same mix and and when he was uh talking last year when we talked to the early enrollees i think he kind of had that in his mind when he was being recruited um out of john bosco in, in california so they they have Three guys there that I think you can feel pretty good about. Kind of three different styles of guys. It'll be interesting to see which direction they go. Maybe they rotate and and do so situationally, as I wrote in my story that went up on Tuesday. But but I think they're it's more speed, it's more versatility, it's more tailored toward pass coverage, which I think is necessary in college football. Now maybe when you play Wisconsin, you don't you don't play that way, which which makes sense. But I think for the most part, most teams you play, you're going to want to play that way. So it seems like that's where it's going. And in terms of like coverage and scheme and stuff. They just did the same stuff they've been doing for the last two years. Everything was single high or cover one or cover three. Um, they didn't do any split safety stuff. They didn't do anything exotic. They didn't blitz from what I told from what I saw. So there wasn't much to glean, I think, defensively, other than the fact that that the bullet is real. Um, the bullet is real, and that that's the direction where the base defense is going in twenty twenty one. And I think it's it's a good step for them. It's not the only step they need to take, but I think it's a good step for them in getting things uh, figured out. And getting this defense back in a place where it should be um, at Ohio State. And people view this as like a response to what happened in the Alabama game, but this was the plan all along, right? Yeah. And that, I mean, not to, all of last year, to be honest. <laughs> it's not It's not like the idea. I, I, I would be interested. Maybe Pro Football Focus has this and we can look it up. Um, we can have our main man, Jason Starrett, help pull, pull some stats. Like how many, how often teams play three traditional linebackers anymore? Because I bet it's not very much. Um, it's not. It's not very much at all can. in the NFL. Yeah, and like college is a little different. But um, shit, Ohio State was playing four linebackers <laughs> last year, so they're just kind of catching up a little bit. They're not. They're not. You know, rewriting the way defense is played. But I think this is the right direction for them to go moving forward. Right. All right. You want to buy some stock? I want to buy some stock. Let's buy some stock. All right. Which which players are going to the moon, baby? Who's going to the moon? What is, How do you is Ethereum say that? Is it, trading at right now? Is it is it up today? Ethereum. How's it, Dogecoin doing? Is it Dogecoin? Is it Doge or Doge? Is it I thought Doge? it was Doggy Coin at first because the entire thing was um, there's a dog on the coin, so I thought it was like Doggy Coin. But everybody that actually put their money in it calls it Doge, so I think it's Dogecoin. I don't understand any any of this, but I see people getting excited about Dogecoin on Twitter, and then I go and look, and it's worth like eighteen cents. And like, I don't is that good? I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah, because when it opened, people were buying it like at a fraction of a penny. Okay. So it's like 20 times your money in a very short amount of time, which is unheard of in investment investing when you usually get 7% a year in a good year. And we're trying to get it to a dollar, right? Is that that's the play? That's the next step. I don't know. Uh I, yeah, it's at 40 cents right now. I'm looking at my crypto app right now. My buddy, my future brother-in-law told me to buy XRP, which is XRP. another one of these one <laughs> Did you hear the click of the pen? <laughs> is that the Mark Cuban uh gift there? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I bought this thing at 38 cents right and it shot up to two dollars and i was like holy crap i made like two grand 
and then I was unable to sell it because apparently it's being sued by the SEC, and <laughs> here we are. So I don't know anything about this stuff either. It's kind of like a walking casino that never closes in your pocket. That like that sounds like the ideal situation for you. Yeah, but everybody who is passionate about cryptocurrency will scream at you in your face about how it's the coin of the future or how this thing is going to a dollar a coin or this thing's going to be worth 50000 a coin. And it's like... I know a lot of people who have made a lot of money in this stuff, but like I also don't understand it because unlike when you invest in a stock, which is what we're going to do on this podcast now, you're not buying something that has inherent value. When you buy a share of Amazon, you're buying a share of a company that generates real revenue. Right. When you buy this, it's just all supply and demand. And in the stock market, the worst part about it is the volatility, whereas in the cryptocurrency market, the only thing that there is is volatility based on imaginary supply and demand of something that has no inherent value. So, like, I don't understand this, and maybe it's just because, like, I'm not educated on it, but in this investment talk, we're going to talk uh, about real assets that have a chance to become real worthwhile investments for Ohio State, which they've gotten through recruiting, right? So, yes. so thanks for bearing with us through the cryptocurrency market. I took econ in, in college and got an F, uh, but here we are. <laughs> All right, so let's do. I, I think this is in no particular order. I told Ari to bring five guys uh, that that he wants to buy stock in right now, based off mostly what's on the spring game. I have five as well. I'm sure we'll have some overlap. If we have some overlap, we can throw some significant other names overlap. Out there. Significant overlap. All right. Give when me. When you name. told me to bring five guys, I brought burgers over. I was confused, and now I'm like, I don't have anybody oh, to run down. So. Yeah. Uh, Okay, my number. Okay, so can I just? It's just obvious. It, I don't yeah. know if this is entertaining, but like everybody has eyes. Say the obvious. And I'm sure everybody who. Okay, I don't know. There's five obvious ones to me, or there's there's three really obvious ones, and then two I think that are kind of interesting. But Marvin Harrison Jr. is is the first person I wrote down. He was not the most obvious one, but he's still pretty obvious. Yeah, obvious, clearly. What, he was, I, I mean, know Jack Miller is the most obvious one. Jack Sawyer, or Jack Sawyer. I wrote Jack Miller down. <laughs> Sorry, quarterback talk. Yeah, no, Marvin Harrison. I don't know. They said his name forty-five times during that game, and you know, I don't. I don't think he wasn't doing anything extraordinary. Like he was catching a lot of a lot of short stuff, like near the sideline, hitches and curls and that kind of stuff. We've seen from this offense. He had a touchdown. Hitch on the to slant. Marv. Hitch to Marv. Um, he did have the one go ball down the sideline where he beat. Uh, I think it was Ryan Watts, and uh, the ball was under thrown. He didn't catch it, but. You know, he was just being a six foot three, big, rangy possession receiver, which is exactly what you want Marvin Harrison to be. And he like looks like he's ready to go, like he showed up ready to go. I, I don't know where exactly he fits in the rotation. Clearly, he's behind Olave and, and Garrett Wilson, but um, I think he's in the mix for sure, based off what we've seen so far this spring. And like Brian Hartline talked in glowing terms about him, which is not something Brian Hartline does all the time. He was open the entire game. He was open the entire game. Now that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it comes with the caveat that no caveats on this podcast. This seven banks doing. camera Brown and Legend Cavazos didn't play. Their okay, outside know, corners but... were Ryan Watts, uh, Tyreek Johnson. Um, I know, Denzel but all the receivers who played in the McCall. game played under the same circumstances. No, I know. That's why, like, we're all going nuts about the receivers, and they are all awesome. But like, Demario McCall was playing corner, <laughs> so yeah. Nothing just... was that was the apex of the entire game when Chris Olave jumped up and caught a pass over Demario McCall's back. Like, was that pure pornography for you? I made a. I or would it a... have been more? It would have been pure pornography if if McCall would have picked it off. I made a I made a gif I I took a picture of that of Chris Olave going over the top catching the ball over Demario McCall I made a meme that I didn't tweet because I thought it was too mean, um, but it was like that Demario was like me waiting for Demario to have a role in the offense and then Chris Olave jumping over him was reality. 
Yeah, I don't know if that's like mean. Uh, I mean you make like nine Demario McCall jokes a week, so like I don't know if you think you're being nice in the other ones, but <laughs> it's oh, kind of no, like I don't like when I when I when I pump up like Demario and, and Tate Martell. It's because I want to see them play. Like I legitimately want to see them play. I know they're not going to, but I still want to see. It. I know, but it's patronizing. Uh, it's just it's fishing for likes, you know. Yeah, I get it. You know, no, know you got to fish for followers. Hard. I get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Marvin Harrison Jr. to me, and I I don't know. Whenever I tweet about sporting events, I always tweet in the most dramatic terms, and I don't know if that's just my personality or how I truly feel in the moment. But name one position group, and I'm including Alabama in this, that has had more talent at one position in the history of college football. <laughs> it is insane. It is is truly you don't have to answer that question. You can call me a jackass. I know that Alabama had a pretty insane trio with Henry Ruggs and, and those guys. But, like, Landis, there's six players in this room right now that could potentially be first-round picks. And I think that's, like, a, a, a fair assessment. Yeah, like, we saw all these receivers doing crazy shit in the spring game. And, like, the number one receiver from 2020 wasn't out there because he's still coming back from shoulder surgery. So, like, he's, he's not even on the field yet. <laughs> and he will be. And he'll be good when he's out there. It's 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 crazy. Yeah, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is when these all these aliens are out there. That was a funny tweet that you. That is, but that is true. Like, it's what an incredible luxury and comfort for Ryan Day and these quarterbacks to know that whoever's out there, they get to throw to all these guys. Because these guys are catching passes that aren't even good passes, and like, it doesn't matter if the ball's within reach, it's over. Yeah, unless you truly miss the guy by throwing the ball like 15 feet over his head. If you put it in the general vicinity, it was getting caught. I think there were, like I said, Jack Miller had three drops. One was, or actually, he only had two because I'm not counting when we threw behind Olave. That was a bad ball. Jamison Williams dropped one, and Evan Pryor dropped one. But otherwise, if it was near a receiver, it was getting caught. Yeah. yeah, Pretty crazy. But I, I thought Marvin Harrison just, you know, and I, I don't know about the look about him. I think it matters because over the course of time, the look about him thing usually pans out to being what you're seeing. Marvin Harrison, who looks identical to his Hall of Fame father, but bigger. has the look about him. He's bigger than his dad, yeah. His yeah. dad was his, his dad wasn't 6'3". Um, but he, yeah, he's. I think I said this before. Like I went to see him in Philly a couple of years ago uh, before Philly. he was a commit, and he was he was just super skinny. Like he was a high school junior at the time, um, which is not surprising that he was super skinny. But like you looked at him, like okay, like I get it. You're Marvin Harrison's son, and I'm sure you're, you're you got all the tricks of the trade. But physically, you're going to have to grow. And then he showed up on campus, and he was like 20 pounds bigger. He's he's legitimately six three, two hundred something pounds, like over 200 pounds now. He's ready to go. So um, he's he's. Behind Olave and Wilson, I think he's probably, I don't know, he might be ahead of Jamison Williams for all I know at this point. Jamison um, Williams also has a look about him, by the way. And I know yeah. like he might get lost in the shuffle here because of just the pure number of guys, but Williams, who's running around with his number six out there, is huge and fast, and it's just like, would he be the best receiver in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State's roster if you placed him on any other team? Hmm... Close, no, not I mean, not quite, but close. Close, I think. He's probably... He is, I'm like, of all the guys on here that I'm super excited to watch, Jamison Williams might be the number one guy, and he, I might not ever get to see that. Yeah, he's pretty electric, I think. If they, they didn't get on the ball much last year. Um, I did like that he, he dropped that early one. I think it was the first play, maybe, or second play. He dropped yeah. it, and then like the very next play, the next there was a ball here. thrown that was a little off target. He had to like, kind of dive the catch, and he caught it. So like he bounced back in a nice way there. Uh, they had him returning kicks. There were no live kickoffs in the game, but they like simulated kickoffs, and he was a deep returner, which I think is interesting. I wanted him to return kicks last year because his straight line speed is off the charts. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think there's a really there's there's going to be a pretty intense battle there. I think between Jamison Williams, Marvin Harrison, Julian Fleming, when he gets healthy, to see who's next on the field. 
at those outside spots behind behind the top two guys. Yeah. Um, but right now, I, I think yeah, you'd want to buy some Marvin Harrison stock for sure. Um, Jack Sawyer, like we mentioned him, he's he's another obvious one. His I, I wrote about this in a story I put I put up on Tuesday, and I have some like film clips in there, and it felt really good to you know gif some stuff up yeah, and put that yeah. in a story. You're back uh, in your his element, his but. array of pass rush moves is insane. Um, he was going against backups for the most part. He had a couple reps against Thayer Munford where Thayer Munford locked him up, which is not surprising. That's the way it should be. But when he got up against guys who weren't Thayer Munford, he was just toying with them. And, like, he's got everything that Larry Johnson talks about, a pass rusher's toolbox Jack Sawyer has already. Got to get bigger, stronger, bigger, stronger, faster because he's a freshman like everybody does. But, you know, the, the crazy things they say, that the side scissors, the long arm, uh, he's got all those moves. He's got those moves in the box already. So Yeah. Um, he is – Probably third. I, I don't know. In my mind, he's there, he's third in the defensive end picture right now behind Zach Harrison and, and Tyreek Smith. He is going to lead Ohio State in sacks this year. I think I'd buy that. I think I could. I, I, could I thought that. you were going to call me an asshole and I was going to put a bet on, on it. The thing about, like, you always compare him to the Boses and Chase Young, right? And the only guy of those three that, like, really had a super meaningful role as a freshman was Nick Bosa. Um, Didn't Joey have that, like six sacks his freshman year? In thirteen, I thought Joey had a really yeah, good freshman he had a good, year. He had, sorry, yeah, he had yeah. a good freshman year, but he like exploded as a sophomore. Yeah, and Chase Chase exploded as a junior. Um, Nick, I th- I think Nick was probably the most impactful from the jump. Maybe I might remember. I might be remembering that wrong. I thought Joey was the more impactful one from the jump. Maybe he was. I might be remembering that wrong. I didn't They're cover the same the person, so it's kind of hard to yeah. to remember. I'll go. You talk. I'll look it up. I think he has the best opportunity out of all those guys to make an impact early just because of the way the room's set up. Because um, even like when Chase Young got here, it was like they had Tyquan Lewis and Jalen Holmes and Sam Hubbard and Nick Bosa already. And it's like, of course, Chase Young is, is super talented with a top 10 national recruit, but it's like th- those, those four guys are pretty good too. They don't have four guys like that now. They have, they have Tyree Smith, who I think is ready for a big year. Zach Harrison, who's looking to take a step forward, but hasn't shown himself to be that, that quite that good just yet. And now, like, and Jack's there, and it's like Tyler Friday, Javante Jean Baptiste. Like, I like, I like Jack to to be on the field a lot. Um, maybe not a starter, but but on the field a lot as as a true freshman. Joey had seven and a half sacks as a true freshman. Nick had five. Okay. Which I also think, and I don't, I don't know if this is disrespectful, but I think eight sacks could lead the team this year. Oh, for sure. I think so too. I think it has in the past, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it could. No, I don't. I don't think it's. I often think projections like that for freshmen are unreasonable, but I don't think that's unreasonable for Jack Sawyer. No, I, I, I think it's very easy to say, well, he threw a walk-on on his back and got by him, but I think that it's very clear and evident even from the beginning. I mean, this, we're talking about a guy who hasn't played defensive end in like two years. Right. Like, I mean, he, he played high school. He, didn't he, he sat out this last year, and as a junior, he played a bunch of quarterback. And he got hurt at the end of that year. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking somebody who has been – a five-star prospect since a sophomore year in high school and, like, is a very advanced kid physically. I mean, he's a massive, massive specimen. So I don't don't know that I'm able to Morton salt my way out of seeing whatever this guy did without – I mean, this is very clearly a a complete product to me, and I think he is the best defensive end on the team right now. Mm. Legitimately. I thought Zach Harrison's get-off was pretty good, but – you know, there's only there was really only one guy who kept consistently getting to the quarterback, and that was Jack Sawyer. I don't um, know. Harrison is the guy that Ohio State needs to be eighty percent of what we thought he was going to be, 
and he might be the, like the craziest physical freak on the team. Um, I don't know if you had a if we had like a and maybe we'll do this in July when it gets really blocky and we're just getting ready for the season. But like a draft of Ohio State's team, like who would come off the board first? We'll do a draft. That'll be fun. We'll do a draft before the year. Um, give me another guy. Um, I thought Taraja Mitchell popped. Yeah, he did. I, I, the thing, my my thing with Taraja Mitchell is that when he when he knows what he's like when he when he's got it when he knows the play he knows what he's seeing he is a heat seeking missile that is going to make some like really high impact plays in the backfield. Um, I just don't know if he like processed it all that quickly all the time, um, or or even or the opposite of that like played things too aggressively. But yeah, when he flashes, he really flashes because he hits like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There was one play in particular, and I don't even remember what part of the game it was in, where he saw and identified a run, swarmed to the football, ran through the line like it wasn't there, and smacked the running back in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And it was just like that's the type of like Ryan Shazier-ish type linebacker play that I think has been lacking. It's like the type of guy that can like swarm to the football and explosively stop a play with instincts and speed. You know, and yep. that was just one play. I don't know if that's something that, it, but I thought that, that is like that's what the linebacker at Ohio State's supposed to look like. Outside of what Rowan McCull- McCullough did, that's I, right. I think that yeah. <laughs> I think that Mitchell has the look about him, and it's somebody that we've been waiting, waiting to see. So I don't yeah, know if that was, is, is that good enough to make the list to you, or I did not, I did not have him, on, and, but I think he's someone worth mentioning for sure. I think if I was expanding it out to ten, I, I might include him. Um, he was also playing with a knee brace on too, so whatever whatever he was doing out there, I don't think he was doing it at 100. And I still thought he, he popped a little bit. Um, I think another obvious one, and it wasn't like the best kind of game to see him play, is Trey Henderson. And you know, it, they didn't tackle. It wasn't a good game for running backs to really showcase what they can do. But I still think you can get a vibe for guys just like moving differently. And and Trey Trayvon Henderson's feet, um, the way he is able to move laterally without losing speed going forward uh, is just something that I don't think really anyone else in this running back room can do, at least not at that level. I think Mayan Williams has that a little bit, um, but there's a gap between Trevion Henderson and everybody else. And even if it wasn't a setting where he had the chance to hit a home run and like really flash that, I think if you just watched his feet in the backfield when he did get his carries, it was noticeable that it was different. And that was enough for me. It was just he caught a lot of passes too, didn't he? Yeah, they were like checkdowns. I remember yeah. I got I fell into that trap a couple of years ago where they threw a bunch of checkdowns at a running back. I was like, oh, this is the year we're going to throw the ball to the running back more. And like it didn't happen because it was just seven on seven spring game checkdowns at the running. I think back, it, so. it just would have been easier for him to pop to me if they were hitting, like if they were like really tackling. For sure, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's true of all the running backs and the linebackers. Yeah. Um But I I feel like I I I got I feel like I got enough confirmation for for me on Trevion Henderson just with the way he moved. Yeah, I mean, just the 15 second clip that they showed of uh, from one of the practices of him running it in was enough for me. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those people who is just like completely reactionary to these sort of things and like can can I just feel like if there's one talent that I think I've had in the 10 years that I've covered the sport, it's like being able to get rid of all the well that's because of explanations and just like being able to really hone in sift through the bullshit and be like that guy's a fucking stud yeah sorry i just dropped an f-bomb on accident <laughs> we're allowed to do that yeah I, I don't do that very often that was actually an accident but that was a pure one and it just like that's the way it is though man and it's like sometimes you just gonna have to 
get rid of everything that is a reason for them not to be good. Jack Smith or Jack Sawyer was pushing freshman walk-ons away. It's just like you can tell, man. Like yeah. it's it's Henderson is a stud, and so is Sawyer. And I don't care if they were pushing in uh, against walk-ons from the smallest high school in the world that weigh 180 pounds. I think it's pretty evident who's good and who's not very early in their careers. And give so me, is Kyle McCord, who's also on my list, but I'm not sure if I was allowed to put him on my list. I think, yeah. Well, give me give me a name that's not McCord's if you have Ryan Watts. One. That's a good one. I had I had him down as an option. I, I he got beat a couple he, times, he, he, but he got beat a few times. But you know, that's also the kind of thing that's going to happen. You know, yeah. like you don't have to be out there and be perfect to, to pop. And I know that the Miller throw was a little off, but I thought that he not only was covering the hell out of the receiver um, and put pressure on the quarterback to put it in the wrong spot but also adjusted well to the ball reacted to it and made a play and it's like as you're looking at ohio state secondary right now what's the thing you want to know i think these guys can hang with other receivers and make plays when they present themselves and i thought that that was a perfect example of doing that it's been a while i mean even last year i don't feel like we saw it that often a guy make a play on the ball just like even even a routine play on the ball i think they need more of that yeah um and and i like ryan watts is huge he's 6'3 looks like a giant out there playing corner and i thought on that play in particular um he got turned around a little bit by Garrett Wilson, but he recovered in a really impressive way. And then it, it was a bad decision to throw the ball, but but I think you give Ryan Watts kudos for making the quarterback pay for a bad decision. And he caught the ball, and I think it might have actually been a touchdown, a touchback because he stepped out of bounds in the end zone. But, you know, receiver picking up a ball, getting some yards after the catch on an interception was was nice to see after, after not enough plays were made on the ball last year by Ohio State's cornerbacks. Yeah, the thing, too, um, is that – you can't take away a play be, by saying that the quarterback made a bad decision. It's just like his quarterbacks make bad decisions in games all the time and mm-hmm. being able to capitalize on those as part of the game. Yep. So it's like it wasn't the best throw. Maybe it was a bad decision, but like that situation presented itself and he capitalized on it. A plus. Like that's it. So, so uh, we, we've named five. Uh, there's two, two more I wanted to mention. Um, one, just quickly, it's an offensive lineman. I don't think we have to talk about it much. Like I thought Luke Whipler looked pretty good, and he and he is the first team center right now. And I'm on alert for him to be the starting center in the fall, and like Harry Miller stays at guard. I don't think Josh Fryer has that lockdown. I think he was just there because someone had to be, even though I think he's going to be a good player. Um, but Luke Whipler has done something to put himself ahead of Matthew Jones as the first team center, and I think Harry Miller is one of the best five. Um, and like the snaps were clean. <laughs> there were no issues snapping the ball from either guy who was snapping it on on Saturday, and we know what happened the last time Harry uh, had to snap the ball. So if I, I think it's possible, we're, we're heading towards an area where Luke Lopler is a center and Harry Miller is a starting guard. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was just me, but the entire game that seemed like there was not much pressure outside of Jack Sawyer. I th- I think that the offensive line in general, collectively on both sides, played really well. I mean, there wasn't a lot of disruption back there from what I saw. Yeah, I think Parrish Johnson um, playing guard got beat a couple times run blocking. But again, it's like I, in that setting, I just don't know how how particularly hard you're going run blocking, knowing that there's no tackling and it's not a game for running. So I'm not putting too much too much into that at the moment. Um, last guy, and I think we can. I'm curious if you if you saw any from him is Cody Simon at linebacker. And I know you mentioned Taraja Mitchell. Did Cody Simon flash for you at all? Yeah, he did. I thought I thought he was he was around the ball a lot, and if you go back and like I said, I went back and watched the game. I watch every play like multiple times because I'm a maniac. Um, he got off blocks really well, which is like not a small thing for a linebacker. I think he he flowed to the ball well. He read things well. He got off blocks. He got in a position where he would be making a tackle if they were allowed to tackle. Nothing like super spectacular jump off the page. I just thought very solid. Um, 
And I think, you know, Dallas can't out. So we, Cody Simon's been afforded a lot of opportunity to play this spring with, with the first team defense. Um, and he looked to me like a guy who's ready to go if they, if they need to count on him to start in the fall. And especially in a situation where Ohio State was playing with a long snapper at linebacker, you wanted to see that because they're mm-hmm. going to be, and I know that there's uh, some phone calls going from Columbus, Ohio to Nashville right now or Knoxville. Knoxville, but, Knoxville. Um, you know, and maybe they'll get him, but you want to see some production out of the guys that are out there because they're they're kind of light right now with some of the injuries that they're dealing with. Also, yeah. one other one that I wrote down that we haven't mentioned, and I, I wanted to know your, your take on this, but I thought Lathan Ransom played pretty well. Uh, yeah, he did. I actually thought him and Cam Martinez both played really well. Um, Cam Martinez in particular, only because it was like a first time seeing him, he, I thought he was pretty good in man coverage. But yeah, I thought they both looked looked good. I, I I don't have any concerns about that that cover safety slot corner spot with both those guys there, and and Marcus Williamson who didn't play is probably going to be in that mix too. So I, I think they're all right there. I still no idea what they have on the outside, but in in the slot in that position, I, I think they're going to be all right with those two guys. Yeah. I thought I thought that they looked like a very it sounds so stupid but a very talented energetic young bunch. I I yeah. I feel, I don't know if it's just cuz I haven't seen the spring game in 2 years but it feels to me like this team has a lot to feel good about going into the summer. I think so too. I I think linebacker worries me a little bit cuz I think Mitchell Melton probably won't be available to play at all based off what Ryan Day said. Dallas Gant, we don't know the timetable on him. I think they need another guy there. Um, it'd be great if they could get Henry Toto as a real difference maker. Even if they don't get him, I still think they need somebody. Um, but outside, and maybe they need a corner. But like J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock are coming too. And I know they're true freshmen. You don't want to be relying on true freshmen all the time. But they're talented guys. So uh, I think you're starting to see some of the young players from like the 19 and 20 recruiting class pop a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I would be excited about that. I think I think energetic is a good way to describe them. Um, there's still a lot of work to do because they were really bad last year, but but I think young, energetic is is a good place to be in right now, heading into the summer. Yeah, yeah. Anything else off the spring game before we wrap up? I don't know. Uh, we're at an hour and four minutes. I dropped an F bomb. Uh, I mean, I don't know what else you want from one me. One more but. thing. Jesse Marco didn't punt the ball that well, uh, and uh, and Jake Seibert and Jake Seibert missed two field goals. So. Yeah, I did see the field goal thing. I don't, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Well, kicking game concerns that's uh, you know what that's, okay i gotta get out of here because i gotta write a kicking game concerns column okay that'll wrap up the show uh thank you guys for sticking with us for a little bit longer than we normally go ohio state is officially through with spring ball um maybe some roster movement to come we don't know this time of year when that stuff happens so if, if it does we'll be on top of it and we'll be back to talk to s- some more buckeyes with you guys next week talk to you then.